Welcome to the Prophecy Club. Our topic today is Grace Has Expired and War is Next. War is Coming. Now, before I get into it, let me remind you that you only have a few more days if you'd like to support Prophecy Club. This is our once-a-year time where we ask people to support us and help us. So if Prophecy Club has been a benefit and a blessing to you, then we would really appreciate your support. So... Got a few more days to do that, and there's lots of ways to do that. Anyway, let's go on to the program. Before I get into the main part of the program, I just want to say a couple of things that I think tie into it. On December 16th, I was drifting off to sleep, and I just kind of whispered as I was drifting off to sleep. I said, Lord, I just want to say that I love you more than I love my wife, more than I love my children, more than I love ministry, or the beat of my heart or the breath of my lungs. And apparently, that's what he needed to hear. Because in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, I heard a voice, an audible voice. It sounded like I was in a cylinder. It came from all directions. I mean, I literally heard it with my ears. But I mean, again, it came from all directions. It said, I'm giving you part of the harvest from the seeds sown by Billy Graham. Then a two-foot-by-two-foot piece of paper appeared up and to the right. And in my hand appeared a sword, and I took off, took the sword, two-edged sword, and I cut down the paper, and I cut off about a third of the paper, and as that paper was cut off, it just turned to a waterfall. And I believe what the Lord was saying, he's going to give me about the third the number of souls that he gave Billy Graham, which Billy Graham traveled out of the world, I guess, for 40 or 50 years doing meetings in sports stadiums. Now, that ties together with something else. So then May 11th of 1997, Dimitri Dudeman died May 5th, and I decided it was time to go out and fast. So long story short, I just went out to a little cabin, and for seven days I fasted just read the Bible. On the morning of the sixth day, I woke up, and this is what I saw. I was standing in what I believed to be a parking lot, probably the Kansas City Chiefs parking lot, People, I could see them streaming in for about 20 miles away. It was about dusk, and they were coming in because they wanted to receive Jesus, and they were coming in for miracles. Now, I also knew that I had just come from being on a television program. The television station was actually helping get people to the meetings, not because they wanted to get people saved, but because that was part of the way they were finding out who the real Christians were, because the real Christians were coming to our meeting. And I knew I was in charge of it. I knew I would be one of the speakers, but I also knew that there would be lots and lots and lots of people leaving the grandstands, coming down onto the gridiron and giving their heart to Jesus with tears in their eyes. Then 7-20-14, I had a similar dream. I was dreaming we were setting up DVDs, tables out in halls at a hotel. I heard a noise, walked down the hall, looking for a better place to put the, the tables. And there was a, a door that's kind of cracked. And I thought, I'll see what's going on. I heard a noise in there. And I opened up the starter, just opened the door, just a little crack. I was like I was sucked in. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of what appeared to be the Dallas Cowboy Sports Stadium. And it was packed. And as I was there about that time, off to the right, there was a big stadium that had been set up. Someone was behind a microphone, and they said, Here he is, Stan Johnson, founder of the Prophecy Club. Everybody started cheering. They wanted to hear me, and I thought, want to hear me? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me. 
But I ran up on stadium, grabbed the microphone, and instantly started getting people to praise and to worship the Lord. In other words, I think those two dreams are saying that there will be a time when people will turn and listen to the last day's message, and they're going to come to sports stadiums to receive Jesus and probably also to receive a miracle healing. Now, as a further confirmation, 422 of 2020, I received this email from this guy. He doesn't even speak English. He speaks French, and so it, it doesn't read exactly right. He says, I quickly write to you about a dream I got when I was a kid. I'm 30 years old now. First of all, I didn't know Prophecy Club since three years now, and obviously I didn't know you. Here's the dream. You were sitting in a chair being interviewed by a white journalist woman for the big TV station. She was beautiful with brown eyes and long brown hair and dressed in green. I'll just add that when I was a very big city, the lady was in front of the door and there was a, a window at her left and a right because you were in front of her. There were three of your people accompanying you in the room, but they were off screen and off camera view. I could continue describing more, but I'm not sure it really is to be useful. She was asking you about strange occurrences that happened in the church in the last three months. She was asking you because your community was growing powerfully and was beginning to become large and famous and was at the opposite, uh, opposite of the despair and fear of what the people were experiencing at the time. She wasn't really believing you, but she was quite amazed about your faith and your community's faith. Basically, you were explaining about your community and your goals, and the dream about you ended here. By the way, excuse my English. It is not my native language, as I'm French. So that's a confirmation. In other words, I think that the trouble ahead is going to bring a lot of souls to Jesus, and I want to be there, and I believe you want to be there also. Now, let's go on. So, 1222 of 22, Vicki Parnell had a dream vision. I'd been in prayer. By the way, I'm going to read quickly because this is long. I've been in prayer for about an hour. I'd been seeking question, answers to questions about things that had been showing revealing to me. Jesus, Jesus, please show me. Reveal to me the truth of the why. Close your eyes, sweet little warrior daughter, and I will show you what is to come upon your once great nation. Putin rides in the clouds of sorrow, misery, and destruction. Close your eyes, yet open them spiritually. What do you see, my love? I see a great tall purplish mountain, like a volcano with snow on top of it, but also that looks like lava or fire on it too. It is so, daughter, it is so. I see water, ocean water. Where is this? What else do you see, little warrior daughter? I see city lights. I see city lights below. It's some great distance, no cities, sprawling cities. I saw a bloat. This can make sense in a second. A yellow-colored inflatable raft-type float with oar paddles. Wait, there's more, similar in style, but they're black. Even the oars are a shiny black, and they're connected to the floating raft. There are several of them. They have motors, too. I know somehow they make very little noise when they're running, but currently their above-board motors are silent, not running. These are built for stealth, I feel in my spirit, man. I see frogmen, people dressed in black rubber suits, solid black with flipper-type shoes. They had air tanks on them, but they now have been discarded on the shoreline. The shore is a black, small, pebbly-type ground. What am I seeing, Jesus? There's 15 of them, and they are shedding their water skins. They're not dressed in military attire, but instead they're dressed as if they're going to a regal fine event. I see a warm, blonde-haired, blonde-haired lady in about her late 20s. 
28 is the number that I see is flashing above her head, and now I see the name Donna R. I see a dark red lady with shoulder-length hair. The color isn't bright in any way. The blonde-haired Donna has a slight tan tint to her skin with dark brown eyes. She is slender, yet I know somehow she's quick with her hands and feet. What am I seeing, Jesus? The future. The red-haired lady has fair skin, very pale. I see a name flash above her, too. It says, Aubrey M. These are the only two that strike out to me besides one of the males. All are dressed in black tuxedos with white shirts. There's one man in particular who has a medium brown hair that hangs with bangs upon his face. He has wide-rimmed glasses on his face, and they are black with the thickness of the rims being about a quarter, an eighth of an inch wide. I see a building now, and it's an old-looking building of some sort, possibly a lighthouse from days gone by. The man with the glasses leads the way from the shore to the door of the building. It's locked, but wait, he has a key. He has produced a key. They are all inside now, but they don't turn on any lights. They rush around the room, closing what looks to be like wooden blinds that are vertical instead of horizontal in the way they have been hung. They do this by very using very small beam flashlights, not all of them, but some. Instead of heading up the winding steps, I watch as two of the other men from the group of nicely dressed men stoop down and move aside an old, very old, heavy rug. Most, I assume, would never try to move it but themselves. It's very large. They cast the rug aside as they do. I watch another man with light sandy blonde hair, locks the door they had just entered in through from the inside. Jesus, what am I seeing? Watch my daughter, just watch. There's a door in the front, but it's not kind of lock I would have expected to see there. It's totally digital. It's somehow electronic. The man with the glasses stoops down on his knees and punches in the code. 34701, the two men who have moved the rug motion to everyone to back up just a little as a slight whooshing sound is heard and the door of the floor has opened up to reveal steps. I notice some dim red lights inside. The man with the glasses, as he entered into the stairway, reaches his hand on the right wall and turns on some kind of power switch. Suddenly, the stairway is full of bright light. They have yet to say one word to one another. The man with the glasses motions to the others to follow, and they do. The two men who move the rug are waiting to the last to enter, giving them time to dust the dirt off of their tuxedos. They're inside the tunnel. It's carved out of dirt with thick weathered wood beams bracing on each side. They quickly descend the steps, all 15 of them. Jesus, what's going on? The truth is being revealed, daughter. Keep watching. I am. There's a long silver bullet-shaped vehicle. Now, let me just summarize what has happened. So these people have gone to an entrance point where they can go down to some of these underground high-speed rail, high technology, probably provided by fallen, the fallen ones, the fallen angels. There's a long silver bullet-shaped vehicle, I see. It's more like a silver slender transportation system or a vehicle more advanced in all the ways from the controls, the seating that's what's above ground. The door opens, more like glides from side to side, not up and down. I'm seeing the silver vehicle that puts me in mind of a silver bullet taking off with the group of 15 people as of running at lightning speed. No one speaks as they travel. I see no one driving. I understand that it doesn't need a driver. It's AI controlled. 
The bullet-style vehicle never seemed to touch the ground, but rather glided above it. There is a rather nice, massive white house with Grecian columns that puts me in mind of the Greek era, or more like the white house above ground. They all unload except two, although the door is left standing open. The two men lift up the seat cushion part to reveal a little hidden alcove. They open it. There are guns of some nature here that I don't recognize. Okay, so these are advanced, high-technology weapons. I see, I see. Now one is pulling out a clear glass-shaped hourglass with the sand inside, all on one side, except for a few granules of very little still flowing freely. Only it all appears to be frozen in time. They each pick up a gun and tuck them inside their tuxedo jackets, where they will not be seen. One of them picks up the hourglass made of spun glass and carries it gently out of the bullet-type vehicle. They rejoin the other 13 of their group and all seem to know what the hourglass is and that the two men are now armed by the weapons they have acquired. What am I seeing, Jesus? Take down of a nation, daughter. Your nation of America is being taken down. I notice now that they are entering into the white building with the Greek columns. Apparently, they are expected because the door opens to them freely without me seeing anyone near it. Upon entering, I find they've entered a grand room filled with people similarly dressed. It's like a party is going on. One I don't want to describe in which demons, hybrids of both animals and people and machines are joined together in various ways. So, Jesus is showing her the fallen ones, the giants, the high technology that we Christians have to fight against, but we can win over through the blood of Jesus. Machines are joined together in various ways. This is satanic and vulgar. This music is odd, but evil. Chimes and frequencies, pitches that are pure, full of pure evil. Upon seeing the hourglass with the frozen sand inside, the crowd lets out cheers, hoops, and hollers. Yet, still the people in the original group never make a sound. An occasional nod comes from the man with the black-rimmed glasses who also has a brown mustache and beard with tan skin. To some people, and I felt he was acknowledging some of the authority, the red-haired lady I see now has blue eyes, dark blue eyes. She is the one named Aubrey. The crowd of the fifteen walk to the door. The man holding the hourglass with the frozen sand inside it hands it over to the man with the glasses, who takes it with ease. Even though I sense it's heavy spun glass, weighted glass, I feel it's it, what it is is made of, the man lifts the hourglass to the door, which slides open immediately. The room is full of more people swaying and standing, but they're not dancing. They're swaying to a chant. They're all chanting, and it's not a language I know. Yet I feel it's an ancient origin language. It makes my skin crawl. Jesus, please, what's going on? No answer this time. Jesus, I just want to know the truth. Yes, daughter, I know. Now watch, and the answer will be revealed to you shortly. I'm watching. I see the room has been darkened except for a light, a light shining upon a stage. Two lights I now see pointing to the middle of the stage where I noticed a single podium there. It's a grand podium, yet small. It reminds me of the podium that our President of the United States stands behind when he's making an outside speech. But, instead of a presidential seal, 
There's another symbol on it. It looks like a gold metal seal with pointed edges that remind me of a Reese Cup's edge. In the center of the golden seal is a goat head with large curled horns. All solid gold, I know. The eyes of the goat are black. There are ancient symbols upon it, with the rest of the podium being dark navy blue. The podium is flat and smooth on top, with nothing sitting on it. I watched as the man with the, uh, the glasses, followed by the other 14 people of this group, start toward the stage. A man meets some halfway. I can't see his face. Jesus, let me see his face. I can't see his face. Father, Father God, in Jesus' name, why can't I see his face? I see as if a black shadow is removed and his face comes into focus. I'm not allowed to speak his name. It's a very powerful man in my country, a king in his own right. He grabs some man with the glasses by the left shoulder, then beginning guiding him through the still swaying crowd. They're still chanting, but upon seeing this, the glass hourglass, they parted for them to all walk through unhindered. When the group gets to the edge of this, the stage with the podium, the powerful man of the country, America, takes the hourglass from the other man's hand. He relinquishes it to him quickly. The man of power, glass, of power raises the hourglass high into the air, and the chanting and swaying reaches a frenzied, frenzied pitch. Jesus, Jesus, I don't like this. You're okay, daughter. You're okay. I watched as the U.S. man of power ascends up the stage from the left side of the steps. He walks smugly, arrogantly to the center of the stage, then places the hourglass upon the podium. As soon as he does, everyone becomes still and silent. Evil is present here. I feel great evil. He bows to the crowd, then walks off the stage, going to the right side steps. There's an air of expectancy as people watch the stage. The lights are now red, shining against the solid black curtains hanging behind the podium. Now I see flags, medium-sized flags of every nation of a world on small, round, narrow flagpoles, but they are forming behind the podium in an arch. Suddenly before my eyes stands on the stage a lone figure dressed in solid black from head to toe. Upon his head sits the goat's head. I have seen before in a dream wearing a very regal but gaudy crown. Oh no, Jesus, Jesus, this man is the Antichrist. How did he appear without warning? I didn't even see him enter. The demon inside him is now very powerful. The demon Abaddon, as well as others, he has, he has given him the power to do so through deception. What's he doing? Listen and watch, daughter. I watch as the goat masked man walks forward to the podium. The crowd seemed to grow quieter as if it were possible. Children, our time has come. The goat-headed man yells out, and his voice echoes mightily across the whole expanse of the large room easily. It's evil. The voice is evil, and it's the same voice as in the other dreams and visions I've had of him. My body shudders at the evil in the room, yet I don't have any fear. Thank you, Jesus, for your protection. You are welcome, my daughter. The man is speaking. Our time has finally come. And the time of the Nazarene is over. He picks up the heavy hourglass. 
easily with one hand, then says, The sands of grace given to the world above in honor of the prayers of the Nazarenes praying saints that has frozen time as you see here. He lifts the hourglass even higher. But now, with both hands, for all to see it clearly, is now officially over on commands of heaven's court. Now, let me back up and explain. He says, our time has finally come, and the time of the Nazarene is over, skip to the bottom, and is now officially over on commands of the heaven's court. So he's saying that the time of the delay, the time of the extended time, is now over. And that would mean that the tribulation, according to what she's saying, is started. I'm not yet saying it started, but that's what the prophecy is saying. Now, I thought it was real interesting to say this, because God's time is not our time. As you look at the scriptures in front of you, Revelation 1.3 says the time is at hand. 22.10 says the time is at hand. 3.11 says, Behold, I come quickly. 22.7, Behold, I come quickly. 22.12, I come quickly. 22.20, Surely I come quickly. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. Hadn't arrived yet. So God's quickly. God's time is at hand is not necessarily our time at hand. And while it is saying that this is happening even now, that does not necessarily mean we're going to see it even now. Okay, now with that understanding, let's go on. I'm looking again at the man on the stage wearing the goat head mask. Our time has come, fully come for when the last remaining grains of sand pour out, then it's over him, speaking of Jesus. I see now upon a closer observation that even though all the sand is on one side of the hourglass, some were dropping when frozen in midair with only a few granules of sand that had not yet hit the bottom. So it's saying it's not yet here, because if it was here, they would all hit the bottom, okay? So it's saying it is very, very, very close. As he's speaking... I see the sand begin moving inside, and they hit the bottom. I hear Antichrist give a triumphant laugh and yells out. Now, at this point, it's saying the sands hit the bottom. My children, it's over. The time, the period of the extended grace has expired upon orders that were passed down from heaven's court. No more time is to be given. Children, children, this is the hourglass of grace. Now, this is Satan talking, okay? He's let out a string of filthy words about my lovely, lovely Jesus. Then he says, this is what I think about your pitiful grace. And he forcefully throws the hourglass to the hard floor and it shatters into what seems like a trillion pieces. Too many really to count. Here's what hell's forces think of your grace. Now, no more can be granted to the world above except for a few pitiful souls you may still be able to reach if you don't reach them first, Nazarene. In other words, there is a great revival still coming. I see it all. Jesus, Jesus, what just happened? Why did he shatter the grace hourglass? Little daughter, I've warned you often. The time of grace has expired for your world, and the time would basically, the way we would say it, would not be extended, would not be given any more time. But why did he have the hourglass instead of you? Satan, even knowing I'm untainted by this sin, deceived himself into believing that I would not keep the commands of heaven's courts, and knowing how Father God 
and our move by our love for our children would grant more grace time. He is gravely mistaken. Nevertheless, he petitioned to heaven's course to be given the hourglass of grace and to be the one to see its destruction. I still don't understand why I'm seeing this as my answer to my original question, Jesus. Because extended grace and mercy is what froze the sands of grace. And while still frozen, Antichrist could go no further in his ascension to full power above the earth's ground, its soil. I'm watching as the first man of power from the U.S., the king in his own right, becomes back from the left side onto the stage again. He's carrying something in his hand. It looks like a tube of some sort. It's smooth, but has the color of dull gold upon it, adorned also by colors of red and turquoise near each end. The ends are elaborately carved with golden ghoulish faces. One side is flat, the other side is rounded with a loop on top, where the dark red silk tassel is attached to see. I see finest pure silk above the tassel. The U.S. man of power, who is king in his own right, hands it to the goat-headed man, then bows slightly to him. I think it shall be sick. The man stands to the right hand of the Antichrist, who takes the tube triumphantly and opens the rounded end of the loop. It screws off. The crows are still silent, as if in reverent awe of the goat-headed man's actions and his very movements. He sets the top of the tube on the podium, then tips the tube over into the other hand. The tube is hollow because I hear something sliding to the bottom into his hand. He casts the tube to the floor, then holds up a grotesque-looking key. I see someone coming up to the right side of the stage stairs, but he's in the shadows. Jesus, who is it? The man begins walking toward the goat-headed masked man. Oh, God, it's Vladimir Putin. What's he doing here? What are they all here for? Putin is also in black and has reached Antichrist, who is still wearing his mask. Antichrist turns toward Satan and clasps him on the arm. The key is still in his hand. As if he were welcoming a dear friend. Welcome, welcome, Vladimir. Vladimir Putin bows his head in reverence slightly. I watch then as the goat-headed Antichrist hands the key to Putin who takes it triumphantly. What kind of key is this, Jesus? What does it unlock, daughter? It unlocks the restraints, holding back war upon your nation. I don't understand, Jesus. I don't understand, so please help me. How does this tell me the truth? I watch as Antichrist turns to face the crowd with Putin by his left hand, and the U.S. powerful man on his right. The crowd erupts into shouts and cheers, and I hear, War! 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 War being chanted and death to the Nazarene and his offspring. Now it's gone. When does this take place, Jesus, and can it be stopped? No, it's on orders of heaven's courts. Surely not everything shall be done in the shadows, but has to be brought to light for your words to be true, spoken through me and the other servants, does it not? Yes, my love, it does. But how, Jesus? How does war happen when there's no evidence of some things of your words being fulfilled? How do you receive any glory this way? I will be glorified in all things, daughter. You just don't see it now. Help me to do so then. What happens, Father God? What happens with our extended grace? Our grace period, once granted, is now gone. Putin fires. At who? You, daughter? But when? Putin fires. 
But what about all these things still to come? What, when does this happen? Lord, does this begin before we had finished talking, or is it still coming? Daughter, it was just moments ahead of reality. All you've witnessed now has finished, occurring while we conversed. Thank you, my love. You are welcome, sweet child. I do not pursue questioning my lovely Jesus any further.